You're listening to Christ-Centered Preaching, Preparation and Delivery of Sermons. Lesson 17. These online lectures and study guides have been created to provide listeners all over the world the opportunity to receive theological resources online for free. If you are benefiting from these worldwide classroom lectures, please consider supporting this free ministry. Click on the Give Now button on our homepage, worldwide-classroom.com. Thank you very much for your support. In Lecture 17, what we want to do is look at uh, the options a preacher has in preparing the materials necessary to preach a sermon. So here's the basic thing we talked about. <laughs> Introductions, conclusions, propositions, you know, lots of things we've talked about. What have you actually taken to the pulpit to work with and how do you present it? So before we talk about delivery aspects, which we'll be getting into, let's just talk about what do preachers take with them into the pulpit and how do they typically organize it? As you think of types of presentation, Broadus says, you know, there's, there's three basic ways that preachers present messages. And that's going to affect a little bit how we prepare what we're going to take up. OK, so how I present it is going to affect what I prepare to take with me. If you think of three major presentations, it can be reading reciting or extemporizing. I mean, those are the basic options. I can simply read a message, memorize it and recite it, or some form of extemporizing. I have something in my brain, and I'm, but I'm still spontaneously speaking as I go. Tell me, guys, this generation, which is, which is most accepted? Reading, recitation, or extemporizing? No question, extemporizing. Reading to people will not work in this generation. Now, if you can naturally recite, that will work. But if it sounds like you're reading off a teleprompter, even while you're reciting, people, you know, people will not listen. It will sound so canned, it's not the generation that will listen to that kind of thing. So typically, there is some form of extemporizing that we will use. Lewis Paul Lehman gives a more exhaustive list of how both what we present and how we prepare affects things. And he talks about it in terms of different types of prepared messages. So this is what we're going to talk about. Different types of prepared messages. First are manuscript sermons. Manuscript sermons. A manuscript sermon could be read. Most famous preacher in history for reading sermons. Who's it? Who is it? Jonathan Edwards. Do not forget, he stopped reading after a while. Even in his generation, it didn't keep working. Okay, so read, but then stopped doing it because he recognized it did not connect even with his own people. But manuscript sermons could be read or memorized. There are people who have the ability, you know, the photographic memories. One is very close to us. That's Dr. Benton over at Kirk of the Hills. I mean, if you listen to the message in the first service, the second service, you'll find it's basically word for word, and uh, he's not reading it. You know, so, I mean, there are people with exceptional abilities, but that's not most of us who are able to memorize, which means a third use of manuscript sermons is that they might be converted to outlines and extemporized in the pulpit. So the manuscript is used to get you very ready, and then you convert it to an outline and then extemporize in the pulpit off the outline, which, by the way, is what we're going to do for two semesters. Okay? We're going to prepare manuscripts, convert them to outlines, and preach from the outline. So the manuscript ensures preparation the outline, hopefully, is ensuring eye contact and spontaneity. 
B, outline sermons, basically two forms of outline sermons. First called extended outlines, extended outlines. I would say this is what most preachers I know use. They preach from extended outlines, two to four pages of outline material that they take into the pulpit, two to four pages usually, and uh, speak off of that. Uh, Twos is, is a bare-bones outline, and that is where uh, usually a lot has been practiced, and so the preacher doesn't even want the, um, the outline itself to rob him of eye contact, and so what he does is he creates something just as prompts, just things to prompt his memory and, uh, and use that. Here's a, here's a bare-bones outline that I used once upon a time, and... Um, you know, it's, my, my goal, I can't get it all there at once. My goal is just to say, I, if I forget, it, it's my safety blanket, right? It's, it's my security blanket. I, I, just, I just want something to prompt my thinking, but I don't want to be looking at this a lot. And so I've got something that just kind of gets me going. And some of you have heard me preach in different settings. But bare bones outline is what I typically will take into the pulpit. I... Um, I don't, don't often look at it, but I always, you know, have that little security. If I need it, I can refer to it. So it's something that has uh, consistent visual markers. I usually use Roman numerals for major main points. I usually use Arabic numerals for subpoints. I almost always will circle an illustration, and I almost always use this little conclusion for application. I don't know why. I just did it years ago, and I still do it. And it becomes something that's a consistent visual marker for me. So that when my eye looks on the page, I automatically know what I'm looking at. You'll see here in this main point, the, um, the illustration is in a different place. Here the illustration came at the end of the main point. In this particular main point, the illustration came before the subpoints. So I was moving where the illustration lay. But again, I use that circle because just in my habit over the years, I just use circles to indicate that's an illustration to distinguish it from my eye picking up main points. Michael, uh, does it mean in, that's a good question, if you have extended outlines or bare bones outlines, does that mean that they have never existed in manuscript form? And the answer is no, it does not mean that. So this is what you take into the pulpit. But you may very well have had a manuscript outline that you converted to an extended outline or that you converted to a bare bones outline or what we're going to talk about just in a little bit, which is where you're going, a, a truly extemporized sermon, which means it was never in manuscript form. So um, if, if, uh, if I thought, uh, most, some of you are experienced preachers here, what I think most preachers do, I think they prepare extended outlines and practice the extended outline so that the pulpit is not the first place that you're ever verbalizing what the extended outline says. Most preachers I know prepare an extended outline and at least practice portions of it before standing in the pulpit. Um, many preachers I know do the extended outline, practice it, and then convert to the bare bones outline, and that's what they'll take into the pulpit. So my own practice is, this may just tell you all, uh, you may never want to do this, but it's what I find I have to do. I go from exegetical outline to extensive homiletical outline, to full manuscript, to bare-bones outline. That's what I do, just personally. I use the extended outline to prepare a manuscript, prepare the manuscript, but then I do not want to take a manuscript into the pulpit, with rare exceptions, and then I preach from a bare-bones outline. 
is what I typically do. And I'll, I'll talk to you more about why some of those things in just a bit. Let's get the other alternative in front of us. Beyond um, the outline sermons, there are what Lewis Paul Lehman calls unwritten sermons. We might call them extemporized. Unwritten sermons. And under unwritten sermons, he has two forms, what he calls mental outlines. That is, you still, while you may never put pencil to paper, you still put an outline in your brain. Okay, you are working it out. These are the great sermons I think about when I'm jogging. <laughs> you know, and then I forget by the time I get back there. <laughs> you know, but these mental outline sermons, you know, are ones that you've still thought through. Or what he calls true impromptu, which means it's spur of the moment and you're just going. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it just is following the flow of the text, but it, it has uh, just the, uh, the spontaneity of the moment. Now, um, before we talk about the strengths and weaknesses of these, I'm going to talk about just a couple of modern variations, and that's D. Just some modern variations for you to think about. One is called putting the outline in the manuscript. So outline in the manuscript. If you look at the sermon that's at the back of your syllabus, in essence, with all those Roman numerals and bold-faced things and so forth, what's happening? It's making the outline jump out of the manuscript. It's still a full manuscript there, but the outline is kind of keyed into the message. And there's lots of ways that people do that. They'll do it with bold-facing. They'll do it with different sized fonts. They'll simply write things out and, and, you know, do with margin differences or even take their highlighters out and highlight key things. So that's a form of writing the manuscript, but making your outline visible within the manuscript. Another thing that's a product of the media age in which we live now is a number of preachers who have discovered what are called broadcast manuscripts in which they do this. They put the manuscript on only two thirds of the page typically on the right-hand side. Put the manuscript on the right-hand two-thirds of the page. What's the left-hand third of the page for? The, man, the, the outline is put there. So there may be key terms. For instance, the illustration, instead of reading the illustration, I may just put puppy dog, you know, and just write key terms in the left-hand margin. Now, those of you who've done broadcast work, you know that's a little bit reversed. Because typically in a broadcast situation, you would put text on the left-hand side and the camera and audio cues are on the right-hand. But that's because you're reading manuscript and the cues are over on the right for the director. But we're flipping it because the first thing I want my eye to see are my notes to myself, my outline. So on the left-hand margin, I'll put the outline features. And the right-hand, if I want it, is the manuscript. And it's actually the folks at Asbury Seminary that have been a lot of experimenting with those broadcast styles. And I have found it. I did it for a few years. Uh, and found it quite effective in, uh, when I was in pastoral ministry particularly that I would use the left-hand margin for the outline and uh, therefore not become too dependent on the manuscript, but have it if I wanted it. So it's an alternative for you. Tell me some strengths and weaknesses here. Let's first deal with the obvious. Preaching with the impromptu method. What's the strength of preaching impromptu messages? It's not mechanical. It doesn't sound artificial a bit. <laughs> Okay, impromptu messages, uh, and obviously can be a great time saver. And sometimes you need a great time. You know, sometimes it is just time, and you were not given warning. And uh, there's something needs to be. I mean, these are times of crisis and tragedy that you simply need to speak. And um, those those may cause impromptu messages. Tell me the weaknesses of impromptu messages. 
it's disorganized. It may not be put together. It takes you forever to terminate it. That's right. For some people, it takes forever to terminate. For other people, it terminates too fast. <laughs> Depends on personality there. But that's right. It may not have any clear direction. It may just have a lot of mistakes in it. Obviously, it doesn't have much study behind it, an impromptu message. So the strength is it's very natural, and it, it may simply save you the time you need in that moment. But its weaknesses, obviously, are its unpreparedness. And unpreparedness, how do I say this, is inherently, unless it's required, inherently unbiblical. Being unprepared is inherently unbiblical. Study to show yourselves a workman approved unto God who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, preparation is needed to do what the Bible requires. So just being unprepared by habit rather than necessity is the problem. Unprepared by necessity, everyone understands. By habit, they don't. I'll give you, just so that you know, um, I I struggle with this. It sounds so easy right here in class, but I did struggle. My own background and tradition is, uh, as I mentioned to you, was primitive Baptist training. And the, the sense was that it was not only artificial, but inhibiting of the work of the Holy Spirit to prepare. You know what I really was helped by um, was actually a man who was a, a, um, a defrocked Methodist pastor. That sound, may sound strange, but he's actually going to help me. He, uh, he and his wife were in my church uh, years after the, the troubles in their life. And um, I mentioned to him at one point that my background and training was in my father's church where, you know, those men would show up and they would two or three of them would just sit at the front and say, who wants to speak this morning? And we said, well, you know, the little conversation, go back and forth. All right. A man would decide and he would stand and he would speak. And it was viewed again as improper to have prepared. Um, The Methodist minister uh, listened to my saying that and he said to me, what keeps the Holy Spirit from working in your study? And I thought, that is a great question. Nothing should keep the Holy Spirit from working in your study. The Holy Spirit works all places, all times. So he uses instruments that are well honed. But it seems to me that there is not anything at all unbiblical saying, I'm going to impose man's ideas on this process. True, if you haven't prayed in your study. But if you have prayed with your studying of the text, there is absolutely nothing that should have prohibited the Holy Spirit from doing his work there as well. Strengths and weaknesses of um, preaching extemporaneously from outlines. The advantages, I'm going to do this because we're running out of time here, okay? The advantages, obviously, if you have an outline, you have had some preparation. Still, by an outline only, it is a shortcut in a busy schedule. An outline is more quick to prepare than a full manuscript. So the advantages, it can be a shortcut in a busy schedule. Another advantage of preaching from outlines Keeps eye contact and natural expression. Keeps eye contact and natural expression. And ordinarily allows more freedom and power of delivery. Ordinarily allows more freedom and power of delivery. The disadvantage of outline, preaching extemporaneously from outlines, would be what? Temptation to being unprepared. It's still the temptation to do too little work. And again, there is the possibility of imprecision and mistakes. Possibility of imprecision and mistakes. Now, 
I've mentioned to you how much I respect John Broadus, the father of expository preaching. And one of the reasons I do is how, how wise he is. And even in his era, which is basically 150 years ago, when you would think about the, the insistence on well-prepared and scholarly sermons of that era, listen to what he said were the advantages and disadvantages of this extemporaneously preaching from outlines. He said, the style of an extemporaneous sermon is apt to be less condensed. Your point, it may just run on and on. Less finished than if it were written out or recited. But this is not necessarily a fault. The style may be better adapted to speaking as opposed to writing. Hear that? It may sound more like you sound when you talk and therefore not artificial. But he said this. A similar and more serious disadvantage of extemporaneous sermons is the danger of making blunders in statement. In the ardor of the moment, the speaker is likely to say some things that are irrelevant, ill-considered, improper, and sometimes, alas, even untrue. Some men, more than others, run this risk, but all are more or less liable. Some hints may be given as safeguards, make thorough preparation. And thus diminish the danger. Keep a cool head, no matter how warm the heart. If the slip is serious, correct it on the spot and go on. If very serious, but not observed at the time, correct it on a later occasion. But for the most part, leave the mistakes alone. If you have real merits and enjoy the confidence of your congregation... It will be one of your most blessed privileges to live down many blunders. Ever tease your pastor for what he said? And kind of when he blushed and smiled and said, thank you, you actually loved him more because he could take it well. So he said, obviously, it's a real mistake. You know, correct it. One of my favorite examples of this was Dan Doriani, who is one of the best preachers and teachers I know. And when he was a new professor, his inaugural sermon here in the chapel uh, he was preaching away, and as he was preaching away, he said, And Jesus Christ is so great, he is the greatest of the created beings. And he said, No, he's not. That's a heresy. <laughs> and I'll be the first to deny it, he said. <laughs> now, what he did was this. He made a terrible blunder, but it didn't bother him. Okay? It didn't bother him. But if you remember this, the mark of great speakers is not that they fail to make mistakes. It's that they're poised when they make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And if you can kind of take it, live it down, and move on, that's great. And actually, people will be very comfortable with you. Preaching from written manuscripts, what are the advantages? Obviously, great precision and assured preparation. The disadvantage, lack of eye contact, and the temptation to read. What method are we going to use? What method will we use? Roman 3. It is actually the method of Robert Murray McShane. Isn't it interesting? Just last week, we had the man from his church here. We had um, David Robertson, who was here from St. Peter's Free Church, which was the famous church of Robert Murray McShane, the revivalist who died young. But here's what he did. Prepared a manuscript converted to an outline, and preached from the outline. He felt it greatly aided the ardor and passion 
of his speaking, but still came from great preparation. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to prepare outlines, excuse me, prepare manuscripts, but preach from outlines. Just a few uh, hints I've already mentioned. After writing out a manuscript, we're going to put our outline in a, uh, what you could do is you could put your outline in a keyword form in the margin. Another thing you do is you could put your outline in the manuscript using highlights or underlining or margin variation, various other visual symbols. Or you could put the outline on another piece of paper. That's what I do, using, as I said, consistent eye catchers. Whatever style for you, over time, develop a consistent eye catcher. Keep main points from starting at the bottom of pages. I would just encourage you to do that. You've got lots of paper. If you will not start main points two-thirds down on the page, you'll keep from confusing your eye. Experienced preachers typically start all main points at the top of the next page, even if they've got lots of white space at the bottom. Because they know, you know, they're not trying to look at people while they're moving, look at down while they're flipping pages. They're moving pages while they're talking, right? And they're looking here. So I want my eye to be able to look down and know exactly where it is. And if I'll start the main point at the top of pages, I'll automatically be oriented to the next main point every time I do a transition. So start main points at the tops of pages. Find some visual marker like circling to indicate where you are. By the way, what I just did is very important which was, if you're moving pages, I would encourage you to slide them. If you do this, what did everybody just do? They just looked at my notes. Okay? They went, how, or, if I do this. Uh, watch the people who are very concerned about sticking with people and don't want them looking at their notes. They learn to just move move them across, and they, they typically have a discard stack and a use stack, okay? I use this stack, and when I'm done with it, I'm looking at you, but I know I put it on the discard side. I'm done with that one. I'm ready for the next page. I may pick up my Bible, slide this under, and move it over. But I typically do not want to be putting this thing, you know, in people's eye line and vision. It just creates distraction to people. What we're trying to do as we follow these various methods is we are trying to make sure that we have enough in front of ourselves that we can preach well and at the same time be able to have lots of eye contact with people. Last uh, items here. You know I'm moving fast. Item D under Roman 4. How can you preach from memory so you're keeping lots of eye contact? My best hint is use keywords. Use keywords. If your main points are around Father, faith, and tomorrow, even though the main point statement is much longer, having keywords in order really helps you. Father, faith, tomorrow. Use keywords that are parallel. Use illustrations to key your thought. Look at this. The illustration is automatically the summary of the explanation and the preparation for the application. Those of you who are very visual-oriented, if you will remember the series of illustrations the whole sermon will appear in front of you. Just by remembering going to this illustration, that illustration, that illustration, the whole sermon will appear in front of you because it's reminding you what the explanation is about and preparing for what the application is about. Finally, I would encourage you to learn the principles of imprinting. You all may never want to do this, but it's just what I do. I just believe in how I know how my mind works. If I prepared a 30-minute message, I will try to go through entirely at least twice the day before. It's just what I do, out loud, because I believe it's not just in my brain. I want to hear how the words sound. 
So I will go through it entirely at least twice the night before. The last thing I do before I go to sleep is I read it even while I'm in bed. I want the last thing that goes into my brain to be that message. I believe in imprinting. I want that to go in my brain. What am I going to do the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning? First thing I do, before I have my bowl of cereal, before anything else, I read through it again. Because I'm trying to imprint that on my brain. So that when I'm finally speaking, I'm not wondering where I'm going. My greatest concern now is to get the message into you, not to get it out of me. I'm trying to get it into you because it's planted in my brain. Now, that's lots of work. Think about that. If, if, if I just, 30-minute message, I said twice out loud, once before I go to bed, once when I get, there's two hours of practice right there. Now, that may sound awful, but I remember Ozzie Smith, you know, the multiple-time gold glover, best shortstop perhaps ever in baseball. When did he show up at the ballpark for a 7.30 game? 3.30. And he took grounders for at least an hour and a half. He was the best shortstop of all time, and he practiced. Don't let anybody embarrass you about practicing. Okay? What you're trying to do is get yourself ready so that you're finally free. Can you over-prepare? Of course. But you're trying to get so prepared that you are very free to say what God has given you to do. Thanks for listening to this Worldwide Classroom Lecture from Covenant Theological Seminary. Looking for more resources? Access more than 1,000 downloadable articles, sermons, and more at resourcesforlifeonline.com. Search resources by keyword, author, or Bible reference. Grace-focused, Christ-centered resources, free to you. Resourcesforlifeonline.com.